If you're just joining us, welcome. I get the privilege to uh, shepherd and pastor what's called the Well, Ohio Valley Christian Fellowship, and uh, I've had a chance to meet you. Um, love to do that. Uh, we've been journeying through the Bible this summer, looking at what, what, what God has says about the church. What is the church? Who owns the church, right? You know, there's a big sign out on the street that says, The Well, Ohio Valley Christian Fellowship. Many of you probably said at some point this morning, wake up, it's time to go to church, right? How many of you woke up this morning and turned to someone and said, hey, church, it's time to go wake up and gather with the church. Radically different, isn't it? Right? So we've learned some, some fundamentals. If you've been in church for any length of time, you know, maybe something that you haven't necessarily not heard. But as we saw, you can never stray, you can never drift from the fundamentals. And so, with all the newness of our new facility, with all the newness of all the, the wonderful people that have been coming, the Lord really just sort of impressed it upon me, let's, let's look at church. Let's look at church, right? Because whose church is it? God's church. Who's building his church? God. So if it's his church and he's the architect, the builder, we should probably be... Uh, Focused on his plans, amen? Because we would want his church to be built his way. And if it's his church built his way, he gets the glory. And we're just simply privileged to be a part of that work. We're just simply privileged to be part of it. So we've looked at these fundamentals uh, about what is the church and what is the church, everything that we said, you are the church, right? So, you know, if you sit next to someone who's a believer, just nudge him and say, that's you. Go ahead. Just say, that's you. You're the church. Right? In fact, if, you, if you've been with me in years past when we've taught the church before, right? Many of you know this, this little nursery rhyme, right? right? Here's a church with a steeple. Open the door. Ah! No people, right? It's just kind of like... Right? So I kind of like, if you've been with me, I kind of change that to be more theologically correct. So you do this with your fingers instead. So put your fingers like this. You turn it like this. And then you can just say this. Here's a building. Here's a building. With or without the steeple. Okay, so go ahead and pick. How many of your steeplers here? How many are just like, nah, I'm good. I don't need a steeple. Right? Right? I'm good. Open the doors. The church is the people. Find yourself in there. Say hi. You're there. Right? So radically different view, potentially, of your experience here this morning. If you came to church at a place that you came to, and then it, when we're done, you leave church, radically different experience here, probably a radically different experience when you leave here. Because church is done. Now I get back into my life. I shared with you before, that's how I grew up. Went to church religiously. Every Sunday. As soon as church was done, bingo! It's like... Uh, I remember uh, I have, I've had four kids so far go through Nordoff, and I've been privileged to be there and pick them up often. And uh, one of the days I really enjoy is the very last day of Nordoff. And I'm waiting, waiting at the last bell. And it's amazing, right? You're just waiting out in front. The last bell, what do you hear? Woo! <laughs> like the entire campus just lights up, right? Everyone's screaming, right? They just come flooding out. Last day, right? Well, kind of that's how I was like, church. Right? Last song, closing prayer, ding, 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 woo! You know? 
Right? First question, probably before we even got out the door, as we stand, stood up to leave, we asked my mom and dad, where are we eating? <laughs> right? I had a chance to see my mom this past week, and I was kind of having kind of some fun with her about where we were going to eat, because I, I went down to San Diego for a few days, and I just decided to get some free meals by visiting mom. <laughs> so I was joking with her about where all the places we used to go after church, right? Taco Bell. You know, just when I was a little kid, you get these things locked into your head, right? There was church and then Taco Bell, or church and then KFC, or church and then you know, thrifty ice cream. How many remember thrifty ice cream was a quarter? <laughs> a quarter, like for a triple scoop. <laughs> right? So now we're dating ourselves. We're like, what? Yeah. And so, if church is a place you come to and then you leave, it's a radical impact on your life. Radical impact on, on your behavior, on your attitudes. If you're the church, and you came this morning with the intent to gather and worship with the church, then when we're done, you're still the church. You just happen to go do church at the Cafe Emporium, or at Taco Bell, or wherever you're going to be, but church never ends, right? And, and we've been learning that. These are just, they sound simple, but man, they're so profound. They're, 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 they can really radically alter your, your walk with Jesus. It can really radically alter your, your experience here, right? Because in the American church, oftentimes we get this sort of spectator mentality, right? We come to watch the show and, and you know, lights and, uh, and you know, speaker and, and it's very passive and and you came to church and you watched church happen, and then when church ended, you got home, that was good. And you just go back to the way you were. When God's intent all along was, no, 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 no. I had to come today for a reason. There was a reason you came here today. You may not even know it. You may have been brought by God today because somebody in this room needs your encouragement. What? I thought I was coming to get something, right? I call it, are you, did you come today to be a getter or a giver? Right? A lot of times we come to church to get. I hope we get a good sermon. I hope we get good donuts today. I hope someone brought good fruit. I want to get, 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 get. What if you came every Sunday because you're the church and you said, I want to give. I want to give. I want to, Lord, here's my prayer this Sunday. Lead me to one person that I can give a hug that I, can, that I can give encouragement to, that I can sit and talk to for a few minutes and really ask, how was your week? And listen. That's when a church comes to life. When the body of Christ comes to give because we're the body. We're called to love as Jesus loved. And it's this dynamic supernatural community of believers that are led by the Holy Spirit and what happens in the formality of a service is just kind of the icing on the cake. Amen? This should be just sort of like the cherry on top of your week. This should not be the sum and substance of your churchdom, of your Christianity. Amen? This should be a celebration. This should be like a little family reunion. Hey, how you been? I didn't see you for your week. This should be like a reunion. This experience should not be the totality of your Christianity. Right? And we've been learning that. And last week, Bill, you really, you know, it's been a blessing to see him grow and mature and, and be transformed. Amen? Amen. This, this brother in the Lord has just been trans, 
transformed right before our eyes in the last six, seven years as he is walked by faith and obedience. And last Sunday, he spoke about life and purpose and passion. And if you didn't, if you weren't here, and if you didn't know that the messages are online at our website, I highly encourage you to go listen to it. Because as I listened to it, I was struck by a man, a brother in the Lord, who just loves Jesus. You know, and and sometimes when we get to sort of the way we do church in America can be so you know frustrating at times because you come up here and you see someone really passionate and really excited and really wow and you, you sit there and go, Man, that guy's really that guy's on fire. He's on fire. Right? And then you turn to him and Bill was on fire today, wasn't he? And then you gotta ask yourself, but how come I'm not? Is is that fire and passion? Does it stop at the stairway here? Like, who's that passion and fire and enthusiasm and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, self-control? Who is that for? All of us. All of us. Right? And so, I want you to understand what you experienced, what you saw through Bill, God using Bill last Sunday, I'm not talking preaching up here. Oh, not me. Everyone just got all scared. He's going to ask me to share my testimony. I knew it. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is that that passion, that zeal, that, that what he loves to say, all in this for Jesus, is for all of us. The Bible says we all have been given everything we need for life and godliness. The Bible says we are all new creations. The Bible says our names are written in heaven. Amen? Amen. All of that is for us. Not just reserved for the chosen few. Right? Because sometimes, you know, when they're on TV, when they have a special TV preacher, you go, oh man, I love that guy. He's just, he just lets it rip. He's just, he just lets it fly. Right? And if you're not careful, sometimes you sit there and you're like, what's wrong with me? Huh. And we almost start to walk with Jesus vicariously through someone else. Think about that. Think about that. Could it be that you get really excited and and motivated to, to listen and see someone who's really on fire, on fire for Jesus, and you sort of don't haven't realized it's for you? So your on fireness is watching that person be on fire. Instead of you being on fire at your workplace, at home, in your neighborhood, at the ball field, not just here. That's what I hope that you see. That's, that's, that's the challenge. The message was, was wonderful. And in 1 John 5, he, he started with this verse, 1 John 5, 12. Is this. First John 5.12 He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And he used that first to have you know, 
the A part, the first half of that verse. He who has the Son has life. And it's a glorious message of encouragement and admonition about if you're a believer in Christ, you have life. You have life. You're new. Right? You're new. I shared that two weeks ago. Kainos. Right? Everyone say Kainos. Right? You're a new creation. Never existed before. Right? If you've ever heard about or been to those car shows, right? You go to a car show, sometimes they have the, 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 the next model coming out. You're like, oh yeah, it's kind of just a little bit of modification. Oh, that's the new Camry. Oh, that's the new whatever. And then at a car show, you turn the car and you're like, what? <laughs> and they have the prototype cars that have never existed before. And you're like, dude, I hope they build that. Because I've never seen that. That's awesome. That's just not another one off the assembly line. I like that. That's brand new. That's you and me in Christ. When he says you're a new creation, you're not just the latest off the assembly line. You've never existed before. You're brand new. You're brand new. Right? And, and that newness, if you'll, if you'll believe it, really, and I love Bill, he said over and over, if you'll appropriate it, we're going to look at that. Whoa. That passion and that zeal that you see up here, you might just be that way before you leave today. If you really just drive a stake in the ground about what God already says is true about you already says is true. You just have to appropriate it and walk in it. Oh my gosh. It's not necessarily something you have to go study more. At a certain point, you know enough. You just gotta act. You just gotta act. Right? There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Go ahead. I have the screen over here. He says this. Christianity if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Let me translate that to you. We're wasting our time here. I gotta go watch the Little League World Series. <laughs> if it's false. But it's, it's silly. We're, we're here, right? Even the resurrection. Look at it. Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, you're still in your sin. You're foolish. You're futile, right? Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. See, because look at First John five twelve. Let's finish the whole verse. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I would say that's of infinite importance. Eternal importance. That can't be moderately important. Because according to that verse, eternity Eternity matters. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, according to that verse, according to the Bible, you do not have life. I would say that's more than moderately important. 
for many of us, maybe that that sort of uh, blah Christianity is boring and and I'm, I'm just kind of like complacent and I'm like apathetic and like whatever, yeah, hoopla, hoopla, hoopla. Maybe it's because your Christianity, your walk with Jesus is moderately important. Moderately. There's a whole lot of other things that just consume your thoughts, consume your priorities, consume your money, consume your time, consume energy. And somewhere in the mix, Christianity is moderately important, depending on the week, of course. Right? When there's a crisis, it's extremely important. <coughs> Smooth sailing, comfortable again, eh, kind of moderately. You feel like going to church today? I don't know. You feel like it? I don't really need to. See? When, when Christianity is moderately important, then all of a sudden it becomes more based on our feelings and circumstance. Because it's moderately. So let me take the temperature of my life. Well, I'm about moderate. Okay, so I'm just moderate with Jesus this week. I thought of that. And, and I just changed one word, so you can't really see us Lewis quote. And I put this God's word is false. Is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The one thing that it cannot be is moderately important. God's word cannot be moderately important. It's the basis of everything we have. Amen? Where do we find out what the church is? God's word. How do we find out about salvation by grace through faith? God's word. Right? How do we find out how to live a holy and life, a holy and pleasing life to God? God. God's word. It cannot be moderately important. Amen. It cannot be moderately important because contained within these pages are truths of eternal significance. Eternal. And then you, you come back from the eternal. Within these pages are truths and promises from God that will impact your life and my life today. Tomorrow, relationships, finances, trials, tribulations, forgiveness issues, everything in your life is addressed in this book. It cannot just be moderately important. And so when you make this choice to have your faith be of infinite importance, when you make a choice to have the Word of God be of infinite importance, watch what happens to your zeal and passion. It's not something you're going to have to work up. Because you're going to start turning these pages, and you're going to be like, really? That's true for me right now? Really? Really? And we're going to look at some of these things, because my prayer for you is that when you see us up here, and we just kind of let it go in the Spirit, i got to tell you, it's not so much what we're teaching. It's not. There's a phrase that says it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. What we really want you to catch is just an all-inness with Jesus. There's not a lot. Okay, there's, there's really nothing. We're not saying up here you couldn't find on your own. The internet is amazing. I grew up in the era of encyclopedias <laughs> and card catalogs. Remember those? Internet's amazing. 
You can, you can do incredible Bible studies. I have an office with books and books and books and books. Some of you don't even need books and books and books. You got it all on, you know, you got any, do they even still use those anymore? CDs? That's even like I've even dated myself, right? So there's not a lot necessarily that, that we're just privileged, I'm just privileged to have hours in the week to study and, and share with you. But it's nothing hidden. It doesn't take any special thing. I can point you to all my resources. What we want you to see in our time of gathering, what we want you to catch, is that we love Jesus. With all our heart. We are all in. In fact, I told the boys we meet every week, Bill and Tyler, I said, fellas, we are so far out on the limb for Jesus. There is no going back. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster. You ever been on a roller coaster and you were so nervous? Anyone ever been on a roller coaster and that the, the line, you're trying to calculate how you're going to survive? <laughs> <laughs> and then when people, when you're getting closer and you see the cars coming back, you look at their faces. <laughs> well, if she did it, I could do it. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to calculate all this. And then you get in, and you're like, right? I remember one time I was at Magic Mountain going on Colossus. One of the very first times, and it stopped. Like three quarters of the way to the top of the hill. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. And then at a certain point, you might, as in roller coasters, get to the point where I trust this. Okay, this is good. I don't need to check it 10,000 times. Okay, just checking it. What are you doing? Just checking it, man. You know? Or you pull that last thing down too tight. Because oh! it's like, I'm not flying out of this thing. At a certain point in a roller coaster ride, when you're comfortable, that you're not going to fly out and the cars aren't going to fly off the track, you can rest and enjoy the ride. At a certain point with Jesus and your relationship with God, when you are secure in his truth and his promises, when you understand the Holy Spirit in you, that you can do all things, he empowers you. You can go over that top. <laughs> and it's a ride. It's a ride. How many of you have ever got to the place with, with Jesus and you, you do something or you go on a mission trip or you say something like, I can't believe I just said that. Anyone? You sit here and you're literally amazed that what something you just did that was completely off the radar before you knew Jesus. That's the ride I'm talking about. You go with him day by day and you, you're trusting him and you're not sure what the next turn, you don't know the next dip and you're like, ah, 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 right? And then you gather here and you realize that if we are honest, there's people around you going right now, ah, ah, right? But we come to church and we ask, how are you doing? Fine. How was your week? Good. How is your kids? Perfect. You know, and you're like, really? Am I really on a roller coaster ride right now? Is everyone in a church? She's got it all dialed in. And we leave all bummed out. We're all on the ride. And we're in. Right? That's what we want you to catch here. But what keeps us rooted and grounded is truth. Is truth, right? 
In 1 John, he speaks about truth. Just turn to this chapter 1 of 1 John. And we see he's speaking to the, to the believers, church as a whole, right? And he begins to talk about the relationship between walking in truth, practicing truth, right? How we live, truth and how we live. So 1 John 1, 5, and 6, he says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth or walk by the truth, right? So in 1 John, he's talking to the church as a whole, and he establishes this relationship between truth and how you live. How you live. Turn to 2 John. 2 John, he's now talking to a family in the church. He's talking to a family in the church, and we see the same relationship. 2 John chapter 1. The elder, this is John, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Verse 4, here's verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. So in verse John, he's talking to the church as a whole, and he establishes this relationship between truth and walking and practicing the truth. Second John, he's talking to a family. He says, hey, that's awesome. It has given me great joy to find some of your children Walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us, right? Turn to 3 John, and it goes now from a family, and he's speaking to one person. Now it gets individual. Individual. 3 John 1. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is John, and he's talking about his spiritual children, right? Look at that. I love that verse as a pastor shepherd. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That would give us no greater joy here. That is our heart. That is what gets us lit. That is what gets us excited. That's why we do this in many respects. It has nothing to do with lights and cameras and action. It has nothing to do with... You want to get me excited about the church? Then tell me that someone is walking the truth. Man, you can't beat that. When someone is growing in the Lord and they're, they're confronted with temptation and they're at a crossroad and they know what Jesus says through the scriptures to do and they know what their flesh wants them to do and all their old habits and all the devils and all that stuff's happening in the world and they're at that crossroad and then they make a conscious choice to say, ah, not my will but your will be done. I'm going to walk in truth. When I hear that, woo! That is awesome! That's it, because it's not moderately important. It is not moderately important at that point for that person. 
Because that first step of walking in the truth leads to a second step, and a second step, and a second step. And suddenly, they're no longer addicted. Suddenly, their attitudes have changed. What comes out of their mouth has changed. Suddenly, they're forgiven. Suddenly, they're loving as Christ loved. Why? Because at some point, they made a choice to walk in truth. To walk in truth. As Bill says, at some point, they appropriated God's word. Now, this word walk, okay, this word walk, when you say walk in truth, is very important. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And some versions says, are walking in truth. Because here's the thing. Walking in truth is not, I want to say not. It's not merely assenting to right doctrine. That's not what they're talking about here. Walking in the truth is not signing a statement of faith. Yeah, I believe that. It's not agreeing with right beliefs. Very important. I'm not saying it's not important. That's not walking in the truth. Walking in the truth, the definition is to conduct one's life, to order one's behavior, regulating one's life. To walk in the truth means, as Bill said, Christ is my life. Therefore, his word is my authority. And I'm going to walk in it. And it's going to be scary. And it's, not, it's going to be actually unpleasant at times. And I'm not necessarily going to feel like it. But because Christ is my life, I will walk in faith and obedience. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyone ever been in a situation where you knew in your own strength and your own flesh and your own understanding you couldn't do it? Anyone? And you see, anyone have those, those, those 911 prayers? Oh, Lord. I really need you right now. Because this is way bigger than me. Anyone? And you go. And God, because you're yielded and dependent, you yield to the Spirit in you, and He works in and through you, and afterwards you're like, whoa, that was awesome. That was awesome. Because you, by faith, walked in truth, by the spirit of truth, empowered, and you saw God was faithful. You saw God was faithful, right? And so we want to we wanna be those who walk in truth. Walk in truth, and there's references in your notes for that, right? And here's the thing. Truth, right? If you look at truth, I want to show it to you just because it's very important. Truth isn't just right doctrine. Truth, fundamentally, is a person. Who? Who? Specific. Who says he is truth? Jesus, right? Anyone know the verse? If you haven't peeked at your notes, cheers. Quick, 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 come on. Famous verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the reference? John 14, 6, right? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, if you're going to walk in truth, fundamentally you need to understand it's walking in Jesus. Colossians 2, 6, right? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. 
So fundamentally, if you're going to walk in truth, you've got to know Jesus. So if you're saying, like, I want to walk in the truth, I want that, I want to see God do supernatural things in me, I want to be transformed, first question, are you walking in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the truth? Jesus. Okay? Step one, right? And then, in John, 1 John 5, 6, it says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and by blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. So not only is Jesus truth, the Holy Spirit is truth. Right? And then in Galatians 5, 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Question. Are you walking in the spirit of truth? Not acknowledging that the spirit is truth, that's part of it, but are you walking in the spirit of truth? See? Right doctrine, but you got to walk it. you got to walk it. And then, we know, it's very familiar around here, God's word is truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. I love this verse, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So if you're like, Lord, why do I kind of, I'm real honest, it's kind of moderately important. My Christianity, your word, your truth, I hear what he's saying, but if I'm honest, it's just sort of moderately important. You know why it just might be moderately important? Because you have a divided heart. And I love this prayer in Psalm 86. Give me an undivided heart. So as you sit here, is there something that's dividing your heart? Something that takes preeminence over your relationship with Jesus? Because the more of those things come in, and the more those are important to you, the Bible becomes uh, moderately important. Uh, I read once in a while. Uh, honey, you seen my Bible? <laughs> We've all been there. Right? We've all been there. We get excited. We get lit for Jesus. And now the Bible is important. It is of eternal importance. And we're diligent, diligent, diligent. And then suddenly the things of life come in. We get undisciplined. We get lazy. We just kind of lose focus. And now, like I said, it becomes sporadic. And then suddenly, we don't even know where our Bibles were. We don't even remember the last time we read them. It's because our hearts get divided. Gets divided. And so, turn to First Thessalonians. You look to the left. How do we walk in the truth? As Bill would say, well then, okay, tell me how to appropriate. Give me some, give me some guidance, some direction biblically about how to appropriate truth. How to walk in truth. Because I really want to, right? First Thessalonians 2. First Thessalonians 2.13. I love this verse for those of you who are like, oh, okay, yes, 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 I want to walk in truth. I want to walk in truth. Yes, Jesus is the truth. Yes, the Spirit is the truth. Yes, God's word is true. What do I do? Okay? First Thessalonians 2.13, look what it says. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, 
which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So God did it. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, that word receive, okay, it means to accept from another. To accept from another something that's transmitted, like a teacher in a classroom transmitting, disseminating data information. So when you receive it, it's like you got the data. You got the information, right? They call it, in one way, the word picture is, that's the hearing of the ear. And right now, I'm explaining this to you, so you're receiving it. Unless you're daydreaming or sleeping. But many of you appear to be receiving it, right? The hearing of the ear. But let's keep going, because that's where many of us stop. That's where many of us stop, and then you wonder, gosh, I'm going to all these Bible studies, I go to church regularly, I listen to TV, I listen to sermons, what's going on? What's going on? Well, you've got to keep reading the verse. Look, so we're receiving it, it says, which you heard from us, you accepted. Everyone say accepted. Accepted. This is the key. Because here's the question. You may be receiving it this morning, but are you accepting it? The word picture for that word, I love it, is hearing of the heart. It's to put out the welcome mat to God's word. Right? I love it. It says, take into the inner man and make part of your life. Accepting persons. It's like hospital. Come on in! Honey, who's at the door? Oh, come bring them in. Welcome, welcome. Oh, come on in. Good to see you. That's what they're talking about here. See, a lot of us, we get it, because, you know, fairly intelligent in the room, right? It's not rocket science. You get it. You receive it. It's being transmitted. But are you accepting it? Come on in, God's Word. Oh, welcome. Welcome. Oh, man, let's just let this sit for a while. Tell me how I'm failing. <laughs> just kidding, right? Are you welcoming? Do you welcome God's word into your heart? Come on in. You put the welcome back. Come on in. Transform me. That's what he's talking about here. So they receive it and they accept it. And they accept it. And then it says, you accept it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. Which is at work in you who believe. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God breathed from God, right? So question. This morning, you're sitting here, there's some notes. You may be taking notes. You may be listening at home or wherever you're listening to online. Something is being transmitted and you're receiving it. Hearing of the ear. Are you hearing with your heart? Are you accepting it? Are you accepting it? And that can make all the difference. That can make all the difference. And there's reasons you might not accept it. You might be in rebellion. You might want to be in control. You might be being convicted by something very specific about God's truth. And you're just like, "Ah, mm, 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 I hear it. Right? Growing.
growing up, I was a latchkey kid. But most of my parents had to work, and so we would come home from school, and we weren't allowed to open the front door, right? And so sometimes people would come to the door, right? And I was kind of, I had a younger sister, and sometimes I was taking care of her until my parents got home. And someone would come to the door, or ding dong bell.
I'm just being honest. You're not opening the door. You're calm. And you'll hear it. But the, the crazy thing and the scary thing about that in James chapter 1, right? It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, here's the thing. If you're just receiving it and you're not accepting it and doing it, the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. You're deceived. And you're like, okay, but what do I do? <sighs> you haven't control. You have to make a choice. And I'm going to be real honest with you. It's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. Because your flesh and the world and the devil are going to do everything they can to keep you right where you are. That last thing the enemy wants is for you to walk in. They're fine with you coming to church if you're just receiving it and not doing anything with it. Because you know why? They deceived you. If you're coming to church and you're just hearing it and not doing it, the devil's fine with that. Because you're deceived. In fact, you're, you're much more dangerous ground than someone who's just blatantly living in sin. Because you're kind of deceived into thinking you're good. That's scary. And take courage. And for instance, in, in one area uh, I was reading this past week, and they define trust as this trust is the courage to accept acceptance. This was relating to our identity in Christ, who you are. Around here, we, you share, I've shared with you before, we're going to look at it in a few weeks. You're complete love, accepted, pleasing. In God's eyes, because you're in Christ, you are complete, love, accepted, pleasing. You clap, right? Incredible truth. We're going to look at it again. So we hear that. I receive that. I'm complete. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm pleasing. Yes! But then I get around those people that always put me down. Then I get my performance anxiety up about my grades and Then I go into comparison and contrast mode. And at that moment, when my self-esteem and how I feel about myself and my identity begins to cover in darkness again, even as a believer, because I revert back to how I was raised and all those bad experiences, all the negative words and all the things, right? At that moment, I have to make a choice. And the choice is to trust that I'm accepted. To have the courage to accept acceptance. And that's scary. Because even as a believer, are you still looking for the world to validate you? What is it that makes you feel good about yourself? Your car, your house, your bank account, your friends, how you look, how you dress. What is it that still you're looking for that's going to be that thing that just, oh, I knew I was someone. I knew it. I knew I mattered. Yeah, and if you're not careful, it could be someone of the opposite sex. See, I knew I still had it. 
Is there something in your life from the world's value system that you're looking to try to validate yourself with? And you leave here and you go right back into the world's way of thinking and the world's attitudes and the world's values because you didn't accept that you're accepted, that you are complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. You see, if you hear that and you accept that, you walk out those doors different. You say, well, uh-uh. That's the old me. But that old me is dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. You go back in that situation with the family and they start putting you down, you just go, nah, got the same effect on me. I'm brand new. I'm a new creation. I'm a prototype model. <laughs> I'm complete. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I am pleasing. Boom, baby! <laughs> hearing of the ear has got to go to hearing of the heart. And when that happens, watch out, bro. Because then the church gets unleashed. <laughs> And those, those years of bondage of seeking the approval of man. The year of bondage of, you know, the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. Amen? Amen. So when you come into these temptations, if you accept that truth, you're like, you know what? Sin rears its ugly head. Sorry, Bill. But, um... <laughs> Sin's waiting for you when you leave here. Temptation, right? Before, you were a slave. You were dead, spiritually dead. The Bible says you're a slave to sin. You're now, you're a new creation. Complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. Romans 6, I'm no longer a slave to sin. So when sin rears its head, <laughs> I say this. I'm no longer a slave to you. <laughs> I choose to walk in truth I choose to walk in truth in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the authority of God's word I say no to you I can choose a different path the narrow road one baby step at a time and it's not going to be perfect maybe one of these but I'm going to go this way see that's the difference between just receiving and acceptance. Receiving and acceptance. In your notes, I had put all these examples and you can look at them. Right? Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when you immerse yourself in God's word, what he's doing, what he's doing is you'll receive and accept it. He's trying to give you what we call a biblical worldview. Right? And I do this, I mean, bring my other Bible so I can't bend this. Right? It's like this. You look through the Bible at the world. This is your filter. Right? You see things through God's perspective. That's why we are into the Word. So if I'm going to walk in truth, I better know God's Word because this is where I'm going to filter the world through. This is what I see. This is my lens. Right? Before you knew God's Word, it was just me, myself, and I and the way I want to do. Right? I want to close with something kind of Lighten it up just a tad, right? We all have choices to make, and here I hope this resonates with you about the choice you and I, you and I have made to make when it comes to walking in the truth, right? So I always put up the first one. What do you see? A duck or a rabbit? How many see a duck? 
How many see a rabbit? How many see both? Okay. How many don't see the duck? Anyone? And you're giving yourself away because I can tell by your face. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to, how many see both? Okay, here, here's, I'm going to give you a little exercise. Choose right now to see the duck. When you see the duck, put your head in. Just choose. Okay? Now choose right now to only see the rabbit. When you do that, put your head in. What did you do right there? Oh, these are called reversible paradigms. You are now choosing what to focus on. You are now choosing what to focus on. Next one. How many see good? How many see evil? How many see good? Good is black. How many see evil? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. How many see good? How many see evil? How many can see both? Okay, we can do this again. Choose, when you put your right hand up, choose to only look at good. Just, just all you see is good. Okay, now, choose to switch to evil. Just see evil. Anyone? Okay. Okay, what did you just do? You made a conscious choice of what you're going to focus on. You made a conscious choice. They're both there. What you see is what you really chose to see. You can exercise. You're exercising your ability to choose, right? Last one. How many see a candlestick? White candlestick. How many see two faces looking at each other? Okay, we'll do it one more time. Choose to only see the white candlestick, and when you only see the white candlestick, put your hand up. Okay. And then now choose to only see the two faces. They're both in there. It's simply a matter of what you're choosing to focus on. Right? Thank you, Matthew. See, Romans 12.2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here, why are we so committed to God's word? Because when you leave here, you got God's truth and you got the world. What are you going to choose to focus on and act? That's what it boils down to. You and I have a choice to walk in truth. It will focus on truth and walk in truth. It's you and I have a choice. That's the glorious thing. Before, before I was a believer, I had no clue that there was, any, there was another picture. Because the only picture I knew was what the world, the bill of goods the world sold me. And, and, and the devil sold me and sin sold me and my friends sold me all I knew was one picture all I knew was one picture and then God opens my eyes I come to the truth, Jesus the Holy Spirit indwells me, the spirit of truth then I get into the truth and suddenly I'm like, there's another picture there's another picture I have no clue this whole thing of singing to God and talking to God and raising your hands that's a whole other picture. That did not exist in my realm. I was just living for me. And then Jesus got a hold of me, the truth gets a hold of me, and I'm like, there's another picture. And so the brothers and those that, that helped me grow the Lord are like, pick one. 
When you leave here, Richie, and you live your life Monday through Saturday outside of the confines of this place, all it is, your sanctification, is continually choosing to pick God's picture. That's what it boils down to. And if you're going to choose that, it's got to go from receiving to accepting. you got to accept it. The scary part is that requires trust. A whole lot of courage. Some of you, what's that? God's word again. I told you we shouldn't have come today. How did he know? Open the door. Right now. joy it brings me when we walk in truth. As imperfect as we do that, as scared as we are, as, as much as we struggle and maybe even stumble, it gives you great joy when we welcome you in and accept you. And then to walk by faith and not by sight is the power of the Spirit. So if you're here this morning and want to walk in truth. Begin by receiving truth, Jesus. Receive Jesus, Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Receive Him. Receive salvation by grace through faith, not by works. And then walk in the spirit of truth. Admit it's utterly impossible on your own strength and understanding to it is. Yield, submit, and say, Spirit of truth, I want to walk in you. Galatians 5.6. And then welcome in the word of truth. Receive him. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. By faith. By faith. Have the courage to accept what God already is saying is true about you. Because you're So, Father, as we prepare to take communion, it's a walk. It's a walk. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other. It's a walk. One 
one choice at a time. And so we'll again give you the opportunity as a church family to come forward. There's bread and cups here. You can come forward and take it uh, to your seats and just have time of, of reflection and prayer with the Lord. Take communion as, as you're ready. And then we'll, uh, we'll close. I encourage you not to be in a rush, but use this time to just pray and reflection. And maybe you're hearing, and maybe today, right now, it's time to open the door and welcome entry. Amen. Before we dismiss, if you'd like prayer,